This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Furminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and a little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. Today, I am delighted to welcome Cassandra Ebner and Trevor Addy to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Last weekend, I found myself at a cast, crew, and friends screening of the first season of Life XP. The web series stars Cassandra as Angela, a hapless bookstore employee who is fired by her mom and takes on a job as a VR game tester, even though she has zero experience in the gaming realm. I sat next to my bud and friend of the podcast, actress Enid Ray Adams, who plays Angela's mom, and we found ourselves elbowing each other numerous times during the course of the screening to whisper, oh shit, this is so good, oh shit, oh shit, and I'm not kidding, we did that, oh, oh you guys can swear on the podcast, I didn't say that, uh, and we, we did that over and over and over again. Uh, Life XP is that rare blend of top-notch writing and hilarity and hubris and visual effects and stunts and excellent acting with the give-no-fuck spirit of indie film. It's got the passion of the independent scene and the production value of a CW superhero show. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that Cassandra and Trevor have been in the industry for so long. So today I want to talk to writer, actress, Cassandra... I know I'm just gesticulating at you. There's no, you know you're here and there's no camera on me. And and director Trevor and talk about the who's and what's and why's and how the fuck they did that for Life XP. And also we will tell you how you can get involved in seeing this project and also trying to get it a second season because I want to know how Angela's story turns out. So Cassandra, Trevor... Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you so much. That was the most amazing intro. That I'm like in awe right now. Well, I was. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> but I I honestly, I, I've seen a lot of web series. I've seen a lot of excellent web series. And I've seen a lot of ones where I go up after like, that was great. And I was like, oh, man, I wish I'd done just this differently and this differently. But you guys cut no corners and if you did it didn't show it was it has so much heart it's so fucking funny i mean from the very first shot you should have i enid ray had a visceral reaction to seeing herself in that way in this kind of medieval battle scene yes there is a medieval battle scene in this show so um, I, I want to talk, and also there's the fact that there's so many stunt performers that I know through just my own travels through the industry who turn in incredible performances. We get to see them as actors in the show, including in one of my favorite bits with Bruce Crawford. So I'm not going to say what happens, but y'all gotta gotta watch that. So let's talk about the origin story then of this project. Uh, take us back in time. We'll get in the TARDIS. We were just talking about your Doctor Who yes. love. So we're in the TARDIS. We're going to go back in time to the earliest seeds of this idea. How did it all begin? Okay, so I was in high school. And Whoa, we went far back. We went really far yeah. back. Yeah, no, I was in high school, and there was this amazing web series called The Guild. And <gasps> Have you seen it? 
Uh, I I've seen the guild. The guild. I mean that, and with Felicia Day. Felicia Day. That was one of the very first web series that showed us how good it could be. Yes, and that was like my inspiration. And at the time, I literally just wanted to remake everything. In high school, I was like, I'm gonna remake this show, and I'm gonna remake this show, only because I wanted to somehow be in it. Ah, uh, yes. And not because <laughs> they needed a remake or anything. Yeah. But okay, I'm gonna tell you something super embarrassing. Do it. Do it. The guild. I was like, I'm gonna make a series where I'm her cousin and we're gaming. <laughs> oh boy. And I was it would have been so bad. I'm so glad that I didn't do that because if I did, that would be so embarrassing. But I was like, I need to make a gaming web series one day because I just want the same feeling that Felicia Day gave all of us gamers out there. So you are a gamer then? Yeah, I grew up a gamer. I played games with my uncle and my dad growing up. What games? Um, Name check some games. World of Warcraft. Oh yeah. Okay. So I played that when my dad and uncle beta tested it. And then as soon as the game came out, they're like, you're playing with me, kid. And they would make me fish for them. They would make me do all these things that were like tedious, but then we would all game together. And that's sort of how I grew up. So a lot of the inspiration from Life XP was that um, I, I have heart game. eyes right now, right? Can you see? <laughs> yeah. You know what I love that because my daughter. I mean, we're, so we record in Fishlight Entertainment, which is a game cinematics studio. My daughter, she's eight. She comes in, she does her homework here, and she does also like a lot of the gaming stuff. Yeah. The idea that she could be a creator like yourself at one point in the future, because we are laying this foundation, it's pretty fucking cool. It's so cool. Like it, th when you're a kid, you literally feel like you're in that world. Yeah. Like I feel like I lived in World of Warcraft for most of my growing up years. <laughs> like I play the game now and I'm like but I was in it at some point and like and it's so it's so dorky <laughs> now were you were you considered a dork then by by your peers and the people around you like how did that inform how people interacted with you oh because kids suck often right yeah well I was definitely um at some point I introverted and I think it was around 12 because I moved schools mm. and so um I was bullied because I like cut off all my hair and I was like I want to be a boy and so I, the kids did not take that well. That was when I first learned what the word dyke was. Oh. Yeah, kids are mean. And so I, like, introverted, and I was, like, video games. Like, that's where my people are. Like, that's where I feel comfortable. And so um, that was kind of the way that I coped with kids. But then I it also made me realize that there was no wrong way to be. Yeah. And, like, that, that like, me playing video games, me introverting from people was like it's okay to be different and so I never noticed if people called me weird or dorky I found that it was like an in to a bunch of people who played video you games you found your people I found yeah. my people at a really young age oh my gosh so that was it was really cool it was probably because of gaming that that I found those people and it's possible I mean I, I'm not going to put those words in your mouth but it sounds like gaming saved your life in some way or like kept your sanity or something you know 100 percent. anytime yeah. that i was feeling like overwhelmed or something like that i would go to video games yeah it was like you still do i, I yeah. <laughs> oh what are you playing now um uh world of warcraft yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're like i literally live inside of it okay that's, like that's my life i li i uh have told this story a few times um but i don't know if people know this it's i emailed blizzard being like, hey, can you guys put me in your movie when I was like 15? I was like, if you guys make a movie, I really want to be in it. Like, you guys have no idea that your game is amazing. And then I got, this is not, this is not an ad to bash Blizzard in any way, but they emailed me back. And super they said, respectful. super respectful and said, hey, if we ever make a movie, we're going to hire professionals. And I was like, oh, oh okay, I'm, I'm 15, uh, that hurt. But, <laughs> um, okay. And then uh, five years later, I ended up on the movie as a stunt performer. 
And so you're a professional. Because I was a mother effing professional. Okay. Um, we haven't let Trevor talk. I know. Yet. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, <hey. laughs> because there's a lot. I mean, there's a there's a, a lot that we want to go to. But so somehow, though, at some point after high school, you ended up going into stunts. Then, like, is that yeah. something? So I'm oh, sorry, Trevor. I said I was going to talk to you, no, 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 but no. I want to still talk to Cassandra. But I I think like so how like was that also something you were pursuing along the way when you were when you were nerding out? Yes. I'm just sorry. What my my thought process is that at some point she enters stunts and then she meets you. Is that Okay, yes. good. Okay, good. So yes. I'm following the timeline here. Yes. Because the, the TARDIS story. has to follow the timeline. <laughs> yeah, the timeline is, so I was in, uh, it's a long story, It's um, but I will try to condense it. I was in high school. Um, I learned about, well, actually, I was in middle school when I learned about um, creating um, because I started making my own films because I, I discovered editing uh, because of a project I did. Yeah. And then I went into high school and I started doing live shows on the internet because I was like, this is so cool. Like, you can talk to people and like they can message you while you're doing it live. Like, this was way before like, like Twitch. Twitch. Yeah. Way before. Um, and then, um, so I became known on that. And then I transferred all those um, people over to my YouTube channel. I was making skits. I was doing vlogs every day for four years. Every day for four years. How many videos? Uh, There's over thousands of videos, hours and hours that I edited. I also had my own editing company at the time. And then I moved over to Vancouver because I was like, I'm going to be in film, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, stunts. Like, I always wanted to be a superhero and I always wanted to do like, you you can do the action and you can do the acting. But were you a physical kid? Because like not everybody, you know, who wants to be a superhero has the physical (laughs) ability to be a stunt person. I played rugby in high school. Okay. And I was like a crazy rugby kid. Like people would be like, oh, like you got to tackle them. And I was like, no, you have to kill them. And so (laughs) I was like, not actually. And Cassandra, how big are you? Oh, I'm 5'2". So... (laughs) That's not normal for rugby. <laughs> no, no yeah, but that that uh, that murderous instinct absolutely. is, is a, I think, probably served you right. Just helping oh, yeah. people visualize that have never seen Cassandra. Yeah, I'm this big, tough uh, lady who uh, takes people down. No, I'll, are I'll all your videos are. are all your videos still on YouTube? Like, if people want to go find them, what do they have to search? Um, there is Nerds RL N E R D Z R L, and that is the vlogging channel that I did uh, a lot of years of my life. It's quite embarrassing, but it's cute. Yeah. And it's a journey of like, you can do what you've set out to do. So that was why I was making the videos. Yeah. And then the skit channel is Nerds4L, N-E-R-D-Z-4L. Okay. Yeah. And those are old <laughs> skit videos. Um, <laughs> I was like 16 when I made that channel, just so everyone knows. That's amazing. Um, I love that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so then that was kind of, it's the shortened version of how I got into stunts. I started training um I was doing acting at the time and then um I got a few acting gigs I got a few stunt acting gigs I got a few stunt gigs and then that is kind of how my career took off wow yeah Trevor hi hi I'm here too you're here too (laughs) Uh, Trevor tell me your own your origin story oh I don't know uh where'd you come from I came from Prince George British Columbia and uh I just loved movies from as long as I could remember every single movie I'd go see and I wanted to do anything to do with the movies. And I remember in high school, uh, the career counselor is like, oh, what do you want to do? I'm like, oh, I want to work in the movies. They're like, no, 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 you have to think of a real job. And I was like, oh, uh, <sighs> I, I, I don't know that. And they're like, oh, you need a career path. And 
um, movie called Dreamcatcher filmed in Prince George, and I managed ah. to get on board as the uh, as just an assistant to the special effects department carrying stuff around. Asked everyone, how do I keep doing this? And I guess Stunts was used to that question. So they're like, oh, you do this and this and this. Now leave me alone. And I went, okay, now I have a list of things to do. And uh, cut to 20 years later. And and this is So it's a real career. job, right? Like, it is. Yeah. Have, you, have you followed up with that career counselor and been like, <laughs> I actually have made a career doing this? And it's actually really hard work. No, but that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not it, an in-your-face person, but educating the person going, actually, if people ask, this is a... Well, I mean, it is a, it's a multi-billion dollar industry oh, yeah. in this province. They're not just filming, well, it you know... it wasn't then, but... <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you it know... It sure is now. It's a, we had beachcombers oh, and absolutely. the X-Files and things <laughs> at the time. We had, the, we, we had Peter DeLuise in here talking about um, 21 Jump Street. You right, know, right, this right. is like real career. So, but... You guys, uh, because of my familiarity with the stunt scene, I know about the work that goes into it. I know about the community um, and the you know everybody helping each other and throwing in and stuff. What did you? What can you tell us about the stunt community here in Vancouver and and what you found in it and and maybe how it's changed in the intervening years? Well, um, uh, we've had the opportunity to work in a lot of different communities, um, and we actually have a really solid community where everyone. Uh, knows each other and helps trains each other together. Uh, trains together um, supports each other uh, you can move around between shows people communicate well um, as far as sharing performers which yeah. is in you know LA Atlanta um, uh, they're they're massive LA is a massive thing and people are in their own worlds yeah um, Toronto everyone is busy in their own way um, they have their own community I'm not saying they don't but ours is a very uh, giving uh, community that we found that's very uh, positive and I mean we we this was the first one we came into so we we're just like this is great all these wonderful supportive people that tell you like it is you, you show up you go, I want to be a stunt person they go you're probably not going to be just letting you know you're like that's rude and they're like no that's a realistic thing it's gonna be really hard most people that ask that question, don't yeah <laughs> so yeah. and it, it, it was it was uh supportive but like you said realistic yeah like they were just like this is they laid the ground rules and then if you were able to do those ground rules and you were able to make it through all those obstacles and um prove your talents and your um worth to the community mm-hmm. um because that's one thing is like a lot of people are out for themselves in a lot of ways now and once you kind of realize, oh, that's not the way that the world works. Yeah. Um, and then people can trust you because like ours is so much about trust. And well, just um, the work, right? Yeah. There are people's mm-hmm. lives on the line. Exactly. You can't make promises that you can't keep like it's and it is hard work. Yeah. And so once all those pieces came together, then the community finally knows that like, oh, this is someone that we should look out for. And this is someone we should adopt in in some ways like that's kind of how it feels it feels like a very funny family yeah <laughs> of very talented people and it, and it's one big community i think that's what i was trying to get at it's other places that have a, a number of different camps and communities within them whereas everyone it's kind of one community here in vancouver which is what makes it special because it, everywhere is that supportive it's safety you have to know everyone really well but this camp knows each other that camp knows each other and but we're one group. It's wonderful. Yeah, and you had a lot of them out there for the cast and crew uh, screening as well. And I, I do want to, we will, 
we're going to dedicate a lot of time to talking about life XP. Don't worry. But I do. We I mean, you guys are both multi hyphenates, right? Like you do. You're, you 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 are directors, filmmakers, writers, actors. Is is that what kind of challenges do you face wearing all of those hats and stunts? I've always found it. Um, uh, this goes back to my YouTube days as well, is that what people have to define you by one thing. So when people found out I did YouTube, they were like, oh, you're a YouTuber. And I'm like, no, but like I do I, I want to act and I want to do this and I want to do that. I, I hate that you have to define one person by one thing. And so mm. a lot of people I find because we have more stunt credits on IMDb, it means that we're only that. Yeah. But and so people sometimes when you're telling them about what you do or they're looking for opportunities for you, they go, oh, well, you're a stunt performer. I'm like, yeah, well. That is what I am, and I, I got that part covered. I'm trying to do the filmmaking part of it. Let's let's do films together, and so I find it um, a constant proving yourself that you're other things. Yeah, which is fine because you know we get to talk about filmmaking all the time with people, but. Um, it that is probably one of the biggest challenges I find. Yeah, maybe it's also a case of you need to train people how to see you. Yeah, you know, like just. Uh, and maybe that's well, well I'm not going to make that assumption is that one of the things that motivated the creation of Life XP then oh uh, definitely yeah like I'm also a very like although I'm outgoing in a lot of ways I'm very humble like maybe too humble um, and so I don't go out there and I don't say like oh I can do acting like yeah. I'm I'm good at that like it's just not a conversation I bring up in my everyday life like hey how's it going I'm good at acting want to hire me like that's not <laughs> it is right now let's but. do an experiment and try that <laughs> okay. and then see how the <laughs> maybe I'll get more Maybe, maybe. (laughs) But um, I wanted, uh, instead of going that far to talk to people about how I do acting, I was like, I'm going to make a project and show people that I can act. And so... And you can act. It's so so good. (laughs) Thank you. To quote myself, Anita Ray, oh shit, this is so good. (laughs) But but that's how you and I got to know each other so well, is you were, uh, we knew each other already and you wanted to do... uh, a Tomb Raider project of some kind that you were going to do. It wasn't like, hey, can you help me? It's like, I'm going to do this thing. You want to be involved? I was like, sure. It was happening. <laughs> we didn't know what it was or when it was. And then um, I was trying to prove myself as a director, and I'd made a number of little short films and things and um, had met a director of photography while I was second unit directing on a movie who said, let's, let's do something together. And I was like, cool, I don't have anything to do. And she's going, when... When, uh, when, when, what should we do about this Tomb Raider idea? I'm like, that's a cool idea. Let's do that. What am I going to do with this other guy that wants to do something? <laughs> Those two things came together. But the effort and idea to go into it is just that passion of not just I'll show you, but if no one's going to give you the opportunity, you just go make it. And so yes, we, we made favorite. Croft. Mm-hmm. And that's where we, you know fell in love or whatever <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't on the set it was all the planning exactly. to make it happen we kind of fell in love yeah we yeah. got to know each other pretty nothing more yet. romantic than spreadsheets <laughs> <laughs> The romances that have blossomed over Excel. I mean, because that's a lot of it. Like that's what I think a lot of people don't realize is that the the they think filmmaking is all glamour, but so much of it is planning, right? Oh, and, so much. Like yeah. life XP planning was yeah. intense. Yeah, it was like film school. I assume because I didn't go to film school on crack. Like yeah. it was like you do this every day for 13 hours and you don't stop. And sink or swim. And unlike film school, there's no grade. You're just not going to get it done. If you, yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah. There's no instructor. There's no one saying you're doing it wrong or right. 
and Cassandra spearheaded every part of all of uh, pre-production, post-production, everything. <laughs> Are you the kind of personality that's kind of like me? That's like, you know what? I just I know that I can do it right, and I'm gonna just do it. Yeah, you know, and like, see, and that can also that can backfire a it lot. It can right? totally like I'm I'm like oh like we can figure this out. Like anyone can figure something out. Like I really believe anyone can do what they want to do. Yeah, it's just a matter of like getting past that little like wall that you go oh well mm mm mm, and so I just like kind of headbutt the wall. Yeah, and then I go yeah let's just do it, and then you kind of find out you don't know how to do some things then you have to learn or you make mistakes while doing them yeah but now you know how to do them so well yeah. <laughs> and we want, want you to do, again, to do it well. even more what i okay so let's talk about the nuts and bolts and nitty-gritty of life xp mm-hmm. what i find interesting after hearing your uh, origin story cassandra is that the character of angela uh even though she looks like you, mm-hmm. um, doesn't it? You don't. You don't have a lot in common, really, because you grew up in the game, and she does not yeah. you know anything about like she's like a flip phone or something, right? Like yeah. this is totally not her world, yes. at all. So, um, t- tell me about where she came from and why she, why you decided to to go this route with that. Character. I really wanted to create a character that was not the typical hero, and. Uh, and it probably comes from watching my favorite movies growing up, which is hilarious, is Tomb Raider mm-hmm. and Charlie's Angels. Um, and these were like women who like had it figured out. Yeah. And like anything Angelina Jolie, I was like, that woman is what I'm going to be one day. Like, I am going to be confident. I'm going to be like figured out. This is going to be amazing. And then I got older and I was like, why am I still awkward? Like, what has happened? Like, where did I go wrong? Why am I not, like, confident like these women in the movies? This isn't what you were told and promised. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is not what I thought it was going to be. And so then I was like, well, why am I watching and looking up? Like, honestly, I still look up to these women. They're amazing. But I wanted a story where I could look up to somebody and, like, watch a show that was of somebody who didn't know what the hell she was doing. Yeah. And I wanted to see that because I feel like there's a lot of expectations to be this confident woman. And I wanted to show people that you can still succeed at being terrible or awkward or any of these things. So that was kind of where her character came from. And I was like, how do I put her in a script that makes sense? Like, how can she fail and it makes sense? And so I put her in that scenario. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. And I, I mean, what's amazing about that, too, is that I have a feeling not knowing the, you know, Angelina Jolie or Charlie's Angels or whatever in real <laughs> life, that they are prob- they probably feel a disconnect, you know, between who they are as people and those and those characters as well. Totally. Right. Like, th- but there is this wonderful trend right now of which Life XP is a part is that we get to see like women being, I don't say losers, but like really like flawed and fucking up and making mistakes. And we haven't really had the chance to see too much of that before. So it's very, that's one of the many things. Like we had Sonia Bennett in here a couple of weeks ago. And that was like, that was kind of the conceit of her film Pregoland was this like a film about a total loser, you know, and as a woman, we do not get to see that. So it was, it was joyful, but, but so it was definitely though an acting challenge then for you to pretend you didn't know anything about games like to kind of like to feign that you did not have any knowledge of that world when really if you were going to cast yourself as who you are you would have been that other character consent oh, later I yeah. would definitely be um, so a lot of people don't know this there's two characters in this show which is um, Angela there's a lot of characters yeah. but Angela and there's a, a character named Consensual DP mm-hmm. 
I am literally consensual DP in real life, but I do not show it. And for people who haven't seen Life XP, consensual DP is the quintessential foul-mouthed gamer who is uh, um, trolling everyone. Cassandra. Wow, we have a real-life troll here in the studio today. If I if I was to, if I was to quote what I'll hear in the house at any given time is something Cassandra will be watching a video on her phone and it'll be someone doing something amazing and I'll just hear oh get fucked <laughs> and, and she's it's just the things that this is who she is and the stuff that comes out of her mouth people would read the script uh, and consensual DP would be in there before he was played by Dave McGowan they're just reading a script they're going this is not very real or grounded. And Dave McGowan was the person we found who could actually ground it and make it work. But I'm like, every time I read it, it was the most realistic dialogue. Yeah. That's just Cassandra in her non-podcast mode. Yeah. I, I uh, Wait, you didn't bring your real mode to the podcast studio today? I don't bring today? my mode most places because I don't public. think people could handle it. Oh. So I uh, have like a PG version I put on all the time so that... Yeah, well, I would she, get in she created the PG version over thousands of YouTube videos, so that's where <laughs> it comes from. But definitely in private, the, uh, the 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 choice of of language, but it's creative. It's not about cursing; it's just about the creativity of of foulness of expressing opinion of joy or hatred or yeah like when we were like we were uh, ripping down uh, Santa Monica Pier and we were on these <laughs> we were on these scooters electric scooters and we were oh. like yeah we're ripping ass right now and I was like yeah it's like yeah we're totally tearing ass and, and ripping I, balls I was just <laughs> screaming these things meanwhile all these tourists getting their family photo here we are at Santa Monica she comes through I'm ripping balls <laughs> And they're like, oh, my God, Americans. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, and I'm like, yeah, totally. I would die to have one of those videos of someone on the pier with you driving by screaming. This is so fun. Yeah, it was oh. a lot of fun. Oh, my God. So uh, how did you wrangle people to become involved in this? Or did, was it was it hard work? Because, I mean, Life XP was clearly made by not just you guys. I mean, there are a lot of people involved in a lot of different parts of the process. So what was the immediate reaction when you you went and you pitched this to people? Uh, the first person I got on board, or actually first two people, was Kristen Jackson and Irma Leong. And they're these amazingly supportive women who were like, you want to do a project? Yeah? Okay, sure, let's do it. <laughs> and they were, they were on board right away. And it was like the most terrifying thing for me to ask for help. Like yeah. for some reason, I've always had this belief that I had to do things alone. Yeah. And I had to work really hard at the things and I wasn't allowed help. Yeah. And then eventually I had to get over that because I knew I couldn't do this alone. Yeah. And they were the first people I got on board. And it was like an amazing learning experience that you can ask for help. Yeah. It, it was really cool. Um. What what's the experience like like directing your the love of your life? Uh, that directing the love of my life, um, Dave McGowan was wonderful to work with, <laughs> and <laughs> oh so you mean Cassandra? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Can I just say so I'm I'm friends with Daryl Kwan, and yeah. so I saw a lot of the photos from your epic wedding adventure. That was you guys, right? Yeah. Yeah, like you got married at like a castle in Ireland or, or yeah. something. Like I know you're like, oh, they Dave have, McGowan, this, but you guys like. I didn't even know you at the time, and I got a little weepy seeing all these these gorgeous <laughs> photos. So we had to go big or go home. So we yeah. went to Ireland. So and God, we went all, big. All the people. Pe- I mean, that's what stunts is, right? It's just like Jeff and Maya Aro. Like it's like there's no doing anything small. It's doing it huge and awesome. Well, we tried to do it small, but it was our wedding planner that was like, "You get this castle for a bunch of days. It's probably actually, you know, the best deal, and it's a castle." And we're like, "That's really cool." And people in Ireland are just like, "You got married in a castle." 
okay. You should get married in this tent, isn't it? No, no, no. no. They, it, it, to them, it was totally different. To us, we're like, it's a castle. Yeah. Yeah. And when we told people it was going to be in a castle, people were like, okay, I'm quitting everything and coming. <laughs> so that was super fun. I have a castle in my origin story, too. Paul and I met at a castle in England. Really? Hampton. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that okay. a little bit after. But anyway. Directing her. Directing yeah. her. Especially, I'm, I'm oh boy. sorry for like uh, making assumptions about you, but somebody who seems like they need to be in control all the time, an incredibly A-type. Uh, what's that experience like? Well, here, I, <clears throat> okay, I, <laughs> I'm not trying to hit you. I, I, I'm gesturing. Um, I, I've, ju- I've directed a bunch of short films and things and got to second unit direct things. It's generally action-based. And now I've got this script, which has these great action moments that's, a heck of a lot of dialogue. And every time I've written something, I just remove the dialogue and I try to get all the information across. If you've seen Croft, there's like five lines in the whole thing. It's 20 <laughs> minutes long. And all of them are kind of arbitrary. It's, I really, that's what I write. And Cassandra's is very dialogue heavy and and so many characters with very complex things. And, and I'm not like this amazing director who's like, oh yeah, that'll be great or whatever. But the greatest thing is when your lead actor wrote the script, knows every character inside and out, and like just having a writer on set is great, but when your writer is sitting in the scene with you, she can, I'll give her a note and she'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, and she'll go with that. It's not that she won't take the note, but if I say something and she'll be like, no, 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 we're going to miss this, and oh, thank you, because I'm not totally on board with something. So it's absolutely a pleasure to have someone who is that involved with something, that invested in, in the middle of the scene. Because a writer could be sitting back and not catch something. Cassandra, aside from one scene, is in every shot of Life XP. And, and <laughs> like, yes, yes, I am. That's a lot of work. Usually movies and things don't have one character in every single scene. It's usually broken up between a bunch of things. So you're always there, always present. And aside from wardrobe changes and things. Yeah. Was that but, hard to let go, though, Cassandra? To, like, to put that trust in, in Trevor to to take the lead as director. I, I don't know, maybe because you literally are dressed like me right now. She's. We both have buns, we both have black glasses, we both have this like maroon top and both, we did not plan this. Um, so I feel necklace. like, yeah, and gold necklace. So I feel kind of like I'm looking at somebody who's like me and I'm like, it's hard to let some stuff go, especially something you care so much about, you know, so. There was definitely some pieces in there, not not too often that I was very adamant about keeping. Like I was like, no, this line needs to stay because it's a reference to this and this is really important to me or something like that. Um, But I actually really wanted everyone to give me notes on everything. Like Mm. I wanted the actors to tell me what they might say or they feel their character would say. And sometimes I would be like, yeah, totally say that. Or I'd be like, no, 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 we need to keep this because of this and this and this, the arcs or or whatever. Um, And when Trevor was directing, I have a very huge trust in Trevor because of his quality of work and also his um, amazing storytelling. He just was very humble about how good he is, but I literally think he is like the next big director. Like he's amazing and like will go above and beyond to um, uh, add to the story or make it look like a million dollar movie when Mm. it might not be. Like you're just so good at that, but it was such an easy collaborative effort because we also have like a shorthand of like how we work together or talking it was just like oh no we need to keep that in there or oh I didn't think of that oh you're totally right oh oh thank you and so we we actually work really well even though uh, I might be a little strong-headed with some things 
but no, I don't think. But you you stand by your things just like I stood by things, and we would we'd figure out what the best route would go, and we're like, oh no, I think it should be X Y Z. But generally, once we hit the set, it was all smooth going. It was all in the right. We didn't have regular prep like other people. It was basically. Um, like we didn't have production meetings and stuff like that because we just knew what it was. We went out, found the locations, the crew saw them for the first time when we get there. So Cassandra and I had already discussed most of the things that needed to get out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. And anything that was like, oh, we might have questions during this, we would like just be in our living room being like, oh, okay, this is how we would block this. This is how we would do this. Like we were literally talking about it for like two months when we found out that we got the IPF fund. Yeah. We were talking about for like two months every day. And just prepping. working stuff out. And it wasn't yeah. like meeting time. It was we couldn't help it because it was present, ever present and around us. Oh, and, and it's important to you, too. Right. Oh, yeah. It's not like, oh, there's that that work and we'll talk about it later. It's like, no, this is part of us and this is part of of who we are. But definitely we, we, we'd prepared things and we'd we'd ask favors of people and stuff. And our crew that came in was wonderful. And it was a mix of people right out of film school, people that have worked on massive productions and people that didn't know us that have worked on a lot of things. And so when we're like, oh, we're going to do this and this, the film school people are like, cool. The people who worked on a lot of stuff are going, you are out of your mind. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> never going to happen. And there was people that had showed up on the show that didn't know us at all because, you know, we're trying to crew up. And and we were, they read the script and afterwards had admitted that they were like, I could, you, you did it. I read the script was like, okay, this will be fun to watch this crash. And there's no way this yeah. is going to happen. They're lovely people. <laughs> yeah. But do you think that's also part of the, of, of your experience in stunts as well, that you wouldn't try something that you didn't know that you couldn't actually do? Oh, interesting. I'd well, never thought of it that way. But because, that, like, I feel like, like, people, if they work in stunts, like, they, yeah, they take risks, but it's a very calculated risk that they actually know they're going to they're gonna do it. Yeah, the preparation for a stunt is definitely, I always say, the misconception is that people go, oh, stunts are dangerous. And I say the safest place on a film set is in the middle of a stunt. Yeah. It's the only place where everything has been looked at. Can something go go wrong? Absolutely. Uh, but something can go wrong anywhere in any job. Yeah. But um, when it comes to our prep and the way that we do things, um, I don't like suggesting an idea on a film set unless I know every aspect of that and how where the camera will be and that it'll work. Yeah. And because there's so many times when people throw out ideas, it's like, cool. And then you're working on something that just isn't really possible. And people go, well, what were you thinking? I just thought it would be a cool idea. I think it's super important to not express an idea until you know exactly all the details so like with the medieval scene at, at the beginning mm. um we're like it's going to be a night shoot it's going to be snowing we're going to have all these soldiers and all these other things and people are going how are you lighting the night shoot is we're renting exactly these lights which are those big road generators with the towers they're cheap we're going to get a snow machine and use one camera and just fill the frame with the, the one single snow machine we have that's all we need to do well how's that going to happen don't worry about it. I've got it figured out because I just know at this level especially, it's wonderful anything else anyone adds to it. But as long as I know that I have it figured out, I can move forward with the idea. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. then it's not that you can't count on people, but everyone at this level to say, make it epic. They go, okay, um, what does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas you, you start showing up with this and this and this and people see the frame and then they make it epic because they go, I see what we're doing now. Yeah. yeah. You inspire at this at this le level we're at right now. We have to 
you know, find the things. We don't have all the money in the world. So you have to, like, find exactly what we can afford, what we can put on screen to make it look as amazing as it does. And you always had, like, fantastic ideas to take it to that next level. And and a lot of them, I mean, 90% of them never happened. But it's the, the audience doesn't know where you missed. And that's, I think, one thing that most people indie filmmaking push it into that spot of failure. Yeah. Whereas I just have a general rule of just don't fail. You can push it and go, no, that's going to fall apart. So don't go that don't far. Don't go that far. Yeah. Um, big movies do it all the time. They go, oh, no, we want this and this. And then it just something didn't work. But yeah. They just assume they could throw money at it. Money doesn't. No. Doesn't. I mean, and that's what, where like in my intro, I was talking about that it had the the passion of indie filmmaking that like often when you get money and it becomes a big studio thing and people aren't as involved and they're they're not trying to do problem solving in the same way that it goes you know I'm sorry for that ASMR uh Fart sound, you know, um, one thing, though, that we haven't, I mean, we've talked a lot about, you know, the the stunts and the look. And one thing I don't think that we're actually haven't tapped into yet is just how funny the the series is as well. Like, I mean, at, one of the things that Enid Ray and I um, whispered at each other, she's so funny. And it was like, it was really, <laughs> it was smart. Like, you know, I would I would put you up there in the in the pantheon of, co- of comedic actresses that we have in the city and stuff. Is it, did, what did this show teach you about humor and and about your own abilities as a comedic performer? Um, it, I'm, uh, I was about to cry when you said that. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, growing up, uh, watched Jackie Chan and Jim Carrey and all those guys. And yeah. I was just like, these guys are so funny. And like, I, I didn't see them. I just saw them as people. Like, again, I, girls and guys, I, I don't see any difference. Yeah. And so when I saw them when I was a kid, I was like, that's what I'm going to be like. I want to be funny like them. Yeah. Um, I tried stand-up comedy like once, and that that ruined me. That was not my thing. <laughs> um, it was a really bad time. Story for another day. Okay. Um, but uh, it it was hilarious though. The the story's great. Um, no, I feel like you. But no, you got to tell us a little bit. Can you give us a little bit of it now? Um, a little bit of the. St- so uh, I'll just give you a brief description of what I was doing. Okay. Again, dressed up as Tomb Raider because Tomb Raider's amazing. Yeah. Um, I was like, I'm gonna because my teacher was telling us that like you can do different types of stand up, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna do the impersonation thing. So I pretended I was a character from a video game. That did not go well. Oh. <laughs> yeah. People didn't see what I saw, and it probably wasn't good. Good. So, all good. yeah, it was good though. Um, but um, it was a formative experience. It taught you a lesson. It taught me that maybe I should just be in front of the camera instead of doing the stand-up comedy thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good lesson to get early on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, it, anyway, the coming back to the comedy thing, the what I learned in it was um, actually working with Gio Mosibob. I learned who plays Kaz. Who plays Kaz? There was so much I learned from him because he had to play uh, the what they call the straight guy who like doesn't have m- like many comedy moments. He's yeah. just like very present and like he's kind of moving the story forward. But he d- he put so many funny moments in it, like very brief, subtle things or things to make me look funny that are funny because they're human and they're real and they're, they're not earnest, because they're yeah. they're. A th- you know, balls. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm still laughing. That is still funny. <laughs> but, balls. <laughs> but the the that that thing where um, he is an absolutely hilarious actor, by the way, and he, he he plays such a subdued role as Kaz, and he was nearly consensual DP, which is the most over the top character in the series. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then Dave came along, and and then we were like, he's still so good, and he gave an amazing audition for Kaz, so he became Kaz. Yeah. 
brilliant actor. He's brilliant. And so when I when I was acting alongside of him, I was learning actually so much about like where I felt uh, like once comedy was something else to me, I realized how comedy could be so big, but you could ground it and 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 really take it as far as you want, but then bring it back to reality. Like that was really important to me. Like we had to believe that this could actually happen. Yeah. Even and, if yeah. the characters are kind of crazy. And it's a fantastical world and all these other things, but it all is grounded in something that could be in our universe. It's not this other, like I like Will Ferrell movies and everything, but they take place in a different universe where, yeah. where this person could amass, you could be Sherlock Holmes or whatever. It, yeah. it just isn't real. This is a different thing. And Cassandra's script was really interesting because it was full of so many things that were just really funny, but scripted specifically. Um, and she has a rule where everything has to mean more than one thing. And I'd pitch something and she'd go, cool, where's the other meaning? It can't just be funny and it can't just be a plot point can't just be there has to be multiple things to everything. So well, she know. made you work. <laughs> yeah. she really work. That's good. Yeah, I just, I also, like, when I was doing the dialogue and stuff and writing it, I didn't, like he said, I didn't want there to be, like, just jokes for jokes. Yeah. I wanted there to be, if it was a joke, then it had to lead up to a situation. Mm. Or it needed to mean something else. Like, if a character said a joke, it actually comes back later because it is a plot point that you need to know or something like that. I don't know if I'm exactly explaining that right, but that's sort of how I went with it. So yeah. that's kind of where the comedy comes from, too. And yeah. something that I think is really funny in the script is she does it many, many times in Life XP is when there's an elephant in the room, someone will mention it. And there's a lot of people saying, you know, like, that's convenient or this or that. Um, but it always cuts into a new scene. They kind of glaze over it with it because she starts. They say what the audience is thinking, but that's it's we don't realize we're in a new scene and we continue forward. She receives a package way too soon from ordering a video game online, turns and goes, isn't this all happening a little too fast? Yeah. And then, <laughs> yes. And her friend says, interesting. And then we pan over and it's a new scene. And yeah. she's like, this has a whatever. And it's full of these things that pace forward the film greatly because we just glaze over things that are like, okay, we have to get them in this game. This, well, the, I get bored easily, so I yeah. needed things to be like, fuff, 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 fuff. But the biggest, <laughs> the, biggest struggle with, the biggest struggle with the first episode is we have this great thing where we'll go on this great adventure, but to get Angela into Narnia is such that so many plot points need to happen in that first episode where they're basically just sitting in a room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so many things need to happen with dramatic moments and stuff. And that was really fun to try well, to you expand it. them. You Thanks. nailed it. Thanks, dude. I love it. So um, I just want to get the uh, some of the 411 about the film. So I love that you both drank uh, at the same moment. You lifted at the same moment, swallowed, and put your cups down. That's amazing. Um, so, okay. So uh, how many days did it take to film this? Uh, it was uh 16 days, like not consecutively, but in a month. And then we left the medieval scene one day uh, in November. Yeah, you're waiting for the perfect like uh, situation. Exactly. And um, and where what were some of the locations where you filmed? Um, We filmed at um, our friend's backyard. Okay. Twice. Yeah. Um, Because (laughs) he has a motocross track in his backyard. Lars, uh, the stunt guy. Oh, yeah. And. we, normal things. No, we, honestly, when you're friends with people in the stunt community, yeah, that is a totally normal thing. So, but it's great because he had this big section of dirt and stuff where we could blow things up and he didn't care. and We could run around and drive Hummers around and, and he was like, yeah, do it. And so we filmed there for our war stuff and our medieval scene. And I remember going to the medieval scene and people being like, oh, aren't people going to recognize it's the same location? We couldn't even find where we filmed uh. in November. It was so different <laughs> at nighttime. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then um, there was a, a picture car guy. As, yeah, Tom uh, Katnick. Tom Katnick, who let us film uh, in his like uh, place that he keeps all his cars. So there's a whole bunch of buses and things, and so we use that as one set. Oh, okay. And also there was, at the end, our warehouse. A warehouse, yeah. We needed a warehouse, and he had a big tent full of old cars, and so we were like, And it cool. looks so cool, like the white backdrop mm. and the way the light reflects mm. off of it yeah. and like ni- nicely like dims it. It was like almost like it was planned, but it oh, wasn't. Oh, totally. It looks <laughs> it was like just perfectly diffused light coming through the tent at all times and I believe um, that's called it was meant to be meant to be yeah yes. it was fateful yeah um and uh so I had the opportunity to watch it as like pretty much I mean you said the film yeah yeah because yeah. I watched always... it as a as a film but this is not how you are releasing it so tell me yeah. about like the the episodes and the length and and how many weeks is going to be until everybody can consume the entire thing so um on November 5th yes uh life XP hits that should be today web. by the way if this popped up in your feed on like if if all goes well because we're recording this is the closest we've ever done we're recording on the Saturday November second I think right mm-hmm. so this should be dropping into people's podcatchers like right now they can like they can pause this actually can keep listening keep listening yeah <laughs> and then go watch like XP and they go yeah okay so how many so how many episodes are have dropped today um it would be uh all nine on Vimeo. On demand. Okay. You can, uh, so the way that we're doing it is we have all nine episodes. You, we also have the feature film version, which is the uninterrupted version, um, and uh, commentary and a behind the scenes cast interviews, all for four ninety nine on video on demand. Oh my that's, God, that sounds amazing. 12 different videos. That's every single individual episode plus the film version, plus behind the scenes, plus the whole version with the commentary. That in, The commentary includes a bubble with us, actually. You could see us talking and pointing. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Which is for five bucks just for five bucks the so. price of a latte latte yeah <laughs> actually my lattes are more expensive than that because I go with soy oh, <laughs> dang it <laughs> and then it'll also be on YouTube for free because um, I loved the guild so much yeah. and it was for free we could all watch it and so that is why it's for free on YouTube so if you're patient YouTube if you're impatient you want all that yeah. extra quality content Vimeo that's yeah. November 5th first three episodes Today. then every Tuesday a, 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 new, a episode new episode will come out and you can watch it. So don't worry. You can watch it for free. But if you've got the money, you know. And if you're a big fan and you just want to say thank you for that, mm-hmm. that's what Vimeo's for. Even if you're never going to watch it again. Or if you want to see season two. Yeah. I was going to ask you about. So so you have a story in mind then. Because like Angela's story at the at the end of the, the final episode or I guess at the end of the film um, it, it could continue I mean it's there's definitely more story to tell at least in my view so do you have a plan oh yes okay yeah. so you just want the opportunity to tell your plan yes yeah yes. Um, I have a five season arc whoa um, of course you do and I have all the <laughs> characters mapped out and stuff like that and then um, I have a uh, season two I think almost finished writing I'm like on episode oh, six. Oh you've been working at she it. She rewrites and rewrites and rewrites though so she'll rewrite right until we've uh, even after we've shot. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like we can't change that in post we're in post right now and you're like I you think can. we can. Yeah. yeah. Over the shoulder voice over dialogue. Just over to the other person and then we'll get them to do the lines and then there we are new exactly. lines. Yeah. I, I, what is what is so cool is that we do get to see a lot of the, the stunt artists that we we don't know that we know, but we love from so many shows. And then there are also appearances by like some pretty well-known actors, including Patrick Sabongi, Kira Zagorski, both friends of, of the podcast and my buds in real life, and Nina and Ray Adams. Uh, can you uh, talk about why, what, what special qualities Enid Ray in particular brought to her role oh, as your mom? my gosh. Oh, so my God. 
Enid Ray, I did not know her before this project. Wow. I am so happy I know her because she brought such an uh, eccentric personality to the character that I was hoping would be eccentric. Yeah. Everybody didn't, everyone who read the script was like, what is this dialogue? This dialogue is not real. The auditions, people played it mean and they didn't mm. see that, that she she's, there's a difference between mean and being like, I just so busy and overworked yeah. and just and I connected though I'm a mom and I get that like you're, it's like mean but like it's from a place of love, love. and and yeah. our life is so hard and we're just trying to hold it all together exactly. no I got it I everyone got it. that auditioned they, they amazing auditions and great performances but they they all seem quite um and, and we had some great choices in there they all how do I say it? they just all all they they just interpreted into I'm the bad guy yeah. Where she played the good guy. And yeah. I loved that. I loved that she grounded it. I loved she, – oh, she's just so amazing at what she does. Yeah. And the way that she communicates with you is amazing because she can just describe things. Like, I'm I'm totally a person who describes things in, like, sounds. Yeah. Like, if you've noticed in this podcast, I'm like, yeah, you know, it hits you in the heart. Like, Ugh! like yeah. that's <laughs> how I know how to talk. <laughs> um, but Enid Ray has, like, this, like, visual way of – talking to you mm. and like explaining something or asking questions and you're just like wow she's just so intelligent yeah and can bring so many different performances like I remember in the editing room we were sitting there going through her takes and every single take had a different performance that she was giving us and it was all amazing yeah she's just really she's yeah. great she has incredible like she's very practical but there's also emotional resonance and but I will say as somebody I've seen her I mean she's my bud yes. and I've seen her do so much work but to see her there in in that in that opening scene in like kicking ass and being that like warrior goddess I mean what a what a gift to those of us who are fans of Enid Ray to have the <laughs> opportunity to see her do that and to show that she can so yeah thank you for giving us the chance to see Enid Ray do that because she's not often cast in that particular role right so and that's the and she can do it. fun thing about Life XP is like you can see all these characters because it's in a fantasy world yeah be different versions of themselves yeah and um i know what you're about to tell the story of it's about it originally not having her in that isn't it oh i, I wasn't even gonna say that but no nope. that, whoa whoa good, whoa just, i want to hear that just, <laughs> so so the opening scene was originally supposed to be just a fantasy that angela was having and then during um the shooting of life xp trevor was like he looked at me and he was like what if i think it was actually Lindsay navarro who plays steph who was like oh man, I wish I could be in the fantasy world or she said something like that. Yeah. And we were like, well, what if, Trevor looks at me and I was like, what if we did the fantasy with the people that you have around you in your life? And I was like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Instead of it just being a fantasy, because originally it was going to be disconnected. Like it's so connected now because it opens with a fantasy, total spoilers, but hey, it opens with it. Um, and You're literally going to log off here and then go and, and watch it because it's available to you. So it's like a spoiler of a couple minutes. But yeah. it, it would have been a totally separate movie. But Lindsay, uh, who plays the best friend, is now in the fantasy at the beginning playing the best friend. And the villain witch who's attacking everybody is... The, Enid Ray, Enid my Ray. mom. And yeah. <laughs> but we don't find out that she's a mom until a bit later. Yeah. Which is which makes it all even more funny. Yeah. And I guess yeah, that's an example of one there. of those yeah. like that you everything has to have a, a, a yeah, a reason. Exactly. Um we would be remiss if we didn't talk about gaming and women in gaming because I I feel like that's uh 
this kind of shakes things up a little bit. You you have um, there's a character that comes in later who gets like angry at Angela and the role that she's playing in how women are perceived, you know, in in games and stuff. Like, what kind of conversations? Or am I just taking this too seriously? Like, what 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 kind of conversations would you like this to inspire? What kind of ideas would you like people to have about women in gaming after watching this show? Oh, um, so. As you were saying that, my brain actually went to, I think, real life scenarios that have happened to me. Yeah. And it's actually not even to do with necessarily gaming. It was actually to do with my career and stunts and how mm. people perceived my career. Because I loved, ev- I love everything about movies. I'm super enthusiastic. And I think people found that overwhelming. Yeah. And so I had a few conversations with people who were very confident women. And I totally understand Um, where they were coming from, where they've worked really hard to get where they are. And um, they saw me as this ungrateful, probably, like, excited human who was, like, taking everything for granted. But I wasn't. I swear, I wasn't. I just, that's how I I try to keep a positive thing going on or else I'll, like, go in a deep hole if I don't. Yeah. Um, And so I brought that into the gaming world because I was like, that's similar. Like, people probably see the same thing. If a girl is... Uh, failing so bad and succeeding like how does that make somebody else who's been working so hard at something succeed feel right so I wanted to come from a real place and so I kind of put my my real life experience into it and then also what's happening probably in the gaming world where there's people you know taking maybe advantage of of this new world of everybody's doing the same thing but some people are taking a different spin on it where maybe they somebody doesn't respect that yeah and so it kind of happens everywhere, I yeah. think. Okay, so it's not not just specific then to gaming. to gaming. Yeah, yeah. And I think that might be why it hit you so hard too, because it's not just gaming that it happens in. It's it's everyday life. It's somebody who's working at a radio station, or yeah. it's somebody who's working at this. It's somebody. Or any any store where someone has worked really hard. Any store, any scenario where someone's worked really hard at success, man or woman, and someone else gets the same opportunity they have for any number of reasons and then they're unsupportive or they don't understand and that's a conversation the scene you're talking about is a conversation that that you rewrote and rewrote and worked on so long because I loved it. you're trying to find the reality in it but it isn't something that's just based in video games it's something that happens to men and women everywhere yeah. where one person's worked really hard to get somewhere and has an issue with someone else and makes assumptions about that person based on their success yeah mm-hmm. Was that too deep? Was that way no. too deep? No. <laughs> okay. And what I love about this conversation that we have had is that it has been a journey and we've we've had moments of hilarity and some very profound moments. So just like your show. <laughs> so if people want to watch the show, I will say I am going to be putting all the various links and things in the footnotes for this episode. But uh, if people want to just like skip, they don't even want to wait to look in my footnotes. Where can they find this now? Or where like t- give me your social media deets is basically okay. what I'm saying. Um, Cassandra dot Ebner is my Instagram. You can follow me. I'm updating people constantly on there. Yeah. Or my Twitter is at Cassandra Ebner no dot. Um, no dot. Or you can go to my Facebook fan page or the Life XP Facebook pa- fan page. Yeah. Or, or the Life XP website. Or the Life XP website, which is www.lifexpseries.com. Okay. Lifexpseries.com. And, Life XP series. com. and uh, what's the best way that people can help you? 
uh, get views and also work towards a season two. Yes, I um, think that if everyone would be so gracious to share the series around, that would be amazing. It would show people the numbers that we have on there. And if that looks good when we go in to pitch this to people, people will go, whoa, this is how many people are watching it. That's amazing. And then if you want to go that step further, you can go to Vimeo On Demand, where we have our whole Life XP series and all the behind the scenes stuff. So you get extra content. You're not just paying for free stuff. And if you also want to help, we also have a donation page on our LifeXPseries.com. Oh, that's great. Okay, because I mean, this was not free to make, you know, so I'm sure you're still paying for a lot of the stuff involved in the series, right? And we'll continue to. Yeah. But I, at the end of the day, I mean, just watch it. Enjoy it. Yeah. That's the that's the number one thing. All, all the other things, absolutely, uh, if you feel that's something that you want to contribute. But a film that's not being watched isn't a film. It's just hard drive space taken up. We want you to see it. We just want you to watch it and enjoy it. And like anyone's art, if it's it's meant to be shown and shared. Yeah. Show, uh, watch it if you like it. Uh, participate further. I mean, it, it was just something that we love doing, and we just love watching people see it. So. And I really wanted to tell the story, so just just watch it and enjoy it. Oh yeah, and <laughs> and I will be screaming about it from all of the various <laughs> social media rooftops and. Possibly from the rooftop here in Kits. <laughs> All right, well. What she's screaming about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like and subscribe. Oh, my God. Enid Ray's son at the screening when he was like, where can we like and subscribe and share? I was like, yes, because honestly, that's how we were so psyched. We were all so psyched. People asked us if that was a plant. They're like, how did you tell that kid to say that? We go, we didn't say anything. We're like, oh, we, he should just come up with a mic. We were done. It was amazing. It's, he like mic dropped it for us. Well, yeah. He said everything that we couldn't because we were overwhelmed. Honestly, we, we it took so much to get even that screening to happen. That was its own whole production. And, yeah. and we were so exhausted. And for uh, anyone that, I mean, what we're talking about is we're doing a Q&A and Enid Ray's son just stands up and says, where can we find it? Where can we watch it? Everyone needs to subscribe. It did the whole speech that we <laughs> needed to get across that we couldn't because we were emotionally overwhelmed because all of our loved ones had just watched it and they were standing and clapping and we're like, oh dear. And we were like crying talk. on stage. Yeah. We're like, what do I even say? And he said it all. You know what's amazing about that though is that like, so Enid, Enid Ray's sons are about the same age as my daughter. They are growing up. They are watching YouTube. They are consuming YouTube. Like, you know, you were kind of a... a I wouldn't say weirdo, but like, you know, you were like, you I was, was in it before everyone you were else was in it. it before everyone else was in it. And yeah. now they are in it. And these kids are growing up and they're excited about that content. And they're consuming that content. So I'm just remembering it. I'm getting so amped again. It was yeah. like, yeah. Well, the kids that came to the screen, that was my favorite thing. Is that they, was mine too. Is, is friends you never know. They're like, oh, that was great. And I mean, Cassandra sits there and watches it and she's like, oh my God, I can't believe so-and-so's here. What are they thinking of this moment? <laughs> like, because she's like, there's friends that came that are very serious and it's not a very serious and it's a very nerdy <laughs> film. Um, but web series or whatever, I always call it a film. But the kids that were like, that was great. Like, that was so fun. And I, I mean. And they're not, they're being honest. They're, they're being they honest because they went to Avengers last week, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, they don't lie. And that's the thing that, um. I made this series because I was a family, like in a family gaming house. Yeah. And I was like, what series would I be able to watch with my family? Yeah. And so when um, I didn't realize it until we were sitting in that uh, screening room, when I heard the kids laughing, I like almost started crying because I was like, this is why I made it. Like, it was like for my little sisters and my little brother. Yeah. Like, I made this for them. And so I actually realized that. And um, the next day, I was like, I'm going to go to schools and I'm going to bring this there. And now I'm going to a bunch of schools and I'm bringing Life XP there to like inspire kids to like do this and follow their dreams. So I was so excited. Wow. 
uh, I also want you to come over and watch it with my daughter I as well. As, and we will pay the four ninety nine so we can just watch it. <laughs> All right. Thank you for being here. And to our listeners, thank you so much. Please like and subscribe. Leave us a review if you are so inclined. They really help us find more listeners. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Scene. And new for this week, we have just joined Patreon. So you can learn about how you can join our Patreon community and receive exclusive content and cool swag at patreon.com slash Podcast. The Wyvere Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Firminger. And it's produced and edited. I love that. Thank you. Please do more of that. Uh, it's produced and edited by Simon Firminger. We give special thanks to Tyson Braddock and Paul Firminger, or Family Business, for technical support, and to Dane Develay for the original music. Wyvere Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic. I'm, I'm, I'm communicating with sounds as a contender dynamic film and television scene. <laughs> and cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com. <laughs> <laughs>